Chapter Eight of the Man Whom the Trees Loved. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Man Whom the Trees Loved by Algernon Blackwood. Chapter Eight. One sunny November morning, when the strain had reached a pitch that made repression almost unmanageable, she came to an impulsive decision and obeyed it. Her husband had again gone out with luncheon for the day. She took adventure in her hands and followed him. The power of the seeing clear was strong upon her, forcing her up to some unnatural level of understanding. To stay indoors and wait inactive for his return seemed suddenly impossible. She meant to know what he knew, feel what he felt, put herself in his place. She would dare the fascination of the forest, share it with him. It was greatly daring, but it would give her greater understanding how to help and save him, and therefore greater power, she went upstairs a moment first to pray. In a thick warm skirt and wearing heavy boots, those walking boots she used with him upon the mountains about Silence, she left the cottage by the back way and turned towards the forest. She could not actually follow him, for he had started off an hour before, and she knew not exactly his direction. What was so urgent in her was the wish to be with him in the woods, to walk beneath leafless branches just as he did, to be there when he was there even though not together, for it had come to her that she might thus share with him, for once, this horrible mighty life and breathing of the trees he loved. In winter, he had said, they needed him particularly, and winter now was coming. Her love must bring her something of what he felt himself, the huge attraction, the suction and the pull of all the trees. Thus, in some vicarious fashion, she might share, though unknown to himself, this very thing that was taking him away from her, she might thus even lessen its attack upon himself. The impulse came to her clairvoyantly, and she obeyed without a sign of hesitation. Deeper comprehension would come to her of the whole awful puzzle, and come it did, yet not in the way she imagined and expected. The air was very still, the sky a cold pale blue but cloudless. The entire forest stood silent at attention. It knew perfectly well that she had come. It knew the moment when she entered, watched and followed her, and behind her something dropped without a sound and shut her in. Her feet upon the glades of mossy grass fell silently, as the oaks and beeches shifted past and rose and took up their positions at her back. It was not pleasant, this way they grew so dense behind her the instant she had passed. She realized that they gathered in an ever-growing army, massed, herded, trooped, between her and the cottage, shutting off escape. They let her pass so easily, but to get out again she would know them differently. Thick, crowded, branches all drawn and hostile. Already their increasing numbers bewildered her. In front they looked so sparse and scattered, with open spaces where the sunshine fell. But when she turned it seemed they stood so close together, a serried army. Darkening the sunlight, they blocked the day, collected all the shadows, stood with their leafless and forbidding rampart like the night. They swallowed down into themselves the very glade by which she came. For when she glanced behind her, rarely, the way she had come was shadowy and lost. Yet the morning sparkled overhead, and a glance of excitement ran quivering through the entire day. It was what she always knew as children's weather, so clear and harmless, without a sign of danger, nothing ominous to threaten or alarm. Steadfast in her purpose, looking back as little as she dared, Sophia Bittacy marched slowly and deliberately into the heart of the silent woods, 
deeper, ever deeper. And then, abruptly in an open space where the sunshine fell unhindered, she stopped. It was one of the breathing places of the forest. Dead, withered bracken lay in patches of unsightly gray. There were bits of heather, too. All around the trees stood looking on. Oak, beech, holly, ash, pine, larch, with here and there small groups of juniper. On the lips of this breathing space of the woods she stopped to rest, disobeying her instinct for the first time. For the other instinct in her was to go on. She did not really want to rest. This was the little act that brought it to her, the wireless message from a vast emitter. I've been stopped, she thought to herself with a horrid qualm. She looked about her in this quiet, ancient place. Nothing stirred. There was no life nor sign of life. No bird sang, no rabbit scuttled off at her approach. The stillness was bewildering, and gravity hung down upon it like a heavy curtain. It hushed the heart in her. Could this be part of what her husband felt? This sense of thick entanglement with stems, boughs, roots, and foliage? This has always been as it is now, she thought, yet not knowing why she thought it. Ever since the forest grew it has been still and secret here. It has never changed. The curtain of silence drew closer while she said it, thickening round her. For a thousand years, I'm here with a thousand years, and behind this place stand all the forests of the world. So foreign to her temperament were such thoughts, and so alien to all she had been taught to look for in nature, that she strove against them. She made an effort to oppose, but they clung and haunted just the same. They refused to be dispersed. The curtain hung dense and heavy, as though its texture thickened. The air with difficulty came through. And then she thought that curtain stirred. There was movement somewhere. That obscure, dim thing which ever broods behind the visible appearances of trees came nearer to her. She caught her breath and stared about her, listening intently. The trees, perhaps because she saw them more in detail now, it seemed to her had changed. A vague, faint alteration spread over them. At first so slight she scarcely would admit it then growing steadily, though still obscurely outwards. They tremble and are changed. Flashed through her mind the horrid line that Sanderson had quoted. Yet the change was graceful for all the uncouthness attendant upon the size of so vast a movement. They had turned in her direction. That was it. They saw her. In this way the change expressed itself in her groping, terrified thought. Till now it had been otherwise. She had looked at them from her own point of view, now they looked at her from theirs. They stared at her in the face and eyes. They stared at her all over. In some unkind, resentful, hostile way, they watched her. Hitherto in life she had watched them, variously, in superficial ways, reading into them what her own mind suggested. Now they read into her the things they actually were, and not merely another's interpretations of them. They seemed in their motionless silence, their instinct with life, a life, moreover, that breathed about her, a species of terrible soft enchantment that bewitched. It branched all through her, climbing to the brain. The forest held her with its huge and giant fascination. In this secluded breathing spot, that the centuries had left untouched, she had stepped close against the hidden pulse of the whole collective mass of them. They were aware of her, and had turned to gaze with their myriad vast sight upon the intruder. They shouted at her in the silence, for she wanted to look back at them. But it was like staring at a crowd, and her glance merely shifted from one tree to another, hurriedly, finding in none the one she sought. They saw her so easily, each and all. 
The rose that stood behind her also stared, but she could not return the gaze. Her husband, she realized, could, and their steady stare shocked her as though in some sense she knew that she was naked. They saw so much of her. She saw of them so little. Her efforts to return their gaze were pitiful. The constant shifting increased her bewilderment. Conscious of this awful and enormous sight all over her, she let her eyes first rest upon the ground, and then she closed them altogether. She kept the lids as tight together as ever they would go. But the sight of the trees came even into that inner darkness behind the fastened lids, for there was no escaping it. Outside in the light she still knew that the leaves of the hollies glittered smoothly, that the dead foliage of the oaks hung crisp in the air about her, that the needles of the little junipers were pointing all one way. The spread perception of the forest was focused on herself, and no mere shutting of the eyes could hide its scattered yet concentrated stare, the all-inclusive vision of great woods. There was no wind, yet here and there a single leaf hanging by its dried-up stalk shook all alone with great rapidity, rattling. It was the sentry drawing attention to her presence. And then again, as once, long weeks before, she felt their being as a tide about her. The tide had turned. That memory of her childhood's sands came back, when the nurse said, The tide has turned now, we must go in. And she saw the mass of piled-up waters, green and heaped to the horizon, and realized that it was slowly coming in. The gigantic mass of it, too vast for hurry, loaded with massive purpose, she used to feel, was moving towards herself. The fluid body of the sea was creeping along beneath the sky to the very spot upon the yellow sands where she stood and played. The sight and thought of it had always overwhelmed her with a sense of awe, as though her puny self were the object of the whole sea's advance. The tide has turned. We had better now go in. This was happening now about her. The same thing was happening in the woods. Slow, sure, and steady, in its motion as little discernible as the sea's. The tide had turned. The small human presence that had ventured among its green and mountainous depths, moreover, was its objective. That all was clear within her while she sat and waited with tight-shut lids. But the next moment she opened her eyes with a sudden realization of something more. The presence that it sought was, after all, not hers. It was the presence of someone other than herself. And then she understood. Her eyes had opened with a click, it seemed, but the sound in reality was outside herself. Across the clearing where the sunshine lay so calm and still, she saw the figure of her husband moving among the trees, a man like a tree, walking. With hands behind his back and head uplifted, he moved quite slowly, as though absorbed in his own thoughts. Hardly fifty paces separated them, but he had no inkling of her presence there so near. With mind intent and senses all turned inwards, he marched past her like a figure in a dream. And like a figure in a dream she saw him go. Love, yearning, pity, rose in a storm within her, but as in nightmare she found no words or movement possible. She sat and watched him go, go from her, go into the deeper reaches of the green enveloping woods. Desire to save, to bid him stop and turn, ran in a passion through her being. But there was nothing she could do. She saw him go away from her, go of his own accord and willingly beyond her. She saw the branches drop about his steps and hit him. His figure faded out among the speckled shade and sunlight. The trees covered him. The tide just took him, all unresisting and content to go. Upon the bosom of the green-soft sea he floated away beyond her reach of vision. 
Her eyes could follow him no longer. He was gone. And then, for the first time, she realized, even at that distance, that the look upon his face was one of peace and happiness, wrapped and caught away in joy, a look of youth. That expression now he never showed to her. But she had known it. Years ago, in the early days of their married life, she had seen it on his face. Now it no longer obeyed the summons of her presence and her love. The woods alone could call it forth. It answered to the trees. The forest had taken every part of him from her, his very heart and soul. Her sight, that had plunged inwards to the fields of faded memory, now came back to the outer things again. She looked about her, and her love, returning empty-handed and unsatisfied, left her open to the invading of the bleakest terror she had ever known. That such things could be real, and happen, found her helpless utterly. Terror invaded the quiet corners of her heart that had never yet known quailing. She could not, for moments at any rate, reach either her Bible or her God. Desolate in an empty world of fear, she sat with eyes too dry and hot for tears, yet with a coldness as of ice upon her very flesh. She stared, unseeing about her. That horror which stalks in the stillness of the noonday, when the glare of an artificial sunshine lights up the motionless trees, moved all about her. In front and behind she was aware of it. Beyond the stealthy silence, just within the edge of it, the things of another world were passing. But she could not know them. Her husband knew them, knew their beauty and their awe. Yes, but for her they were out of reach. She might not share with him the very least of them. It seemed that behind and through the glare of this wintry noonday, in the heart of the woods, there brooded another universe of life and passion, for her all unexpressed. The silence veiled it, the stillness hid it, but he moved with it all and understood. His love interpreted it. She rose to her feet, tottered feebly, and collapsed again upon the moss. Yet for herself she felt no terror, no little personal fear could touch her whose anguish and deep longing streamed all out to him whom she so bravely loved. In this time of utter self-forgetfulness, when she realized that the battle was hopeless, thinking she had lost even her God, she found him again quite close beside her, like a little presence in this terrible heart of the hostile forest. But at first she did not recognize that he was there. She did not know him in that strangely unacceptable guise. For he stood so very close, so very intimate, so very sweet and comforting, and yet so hard to understand, as resignation. Once more she struggled to her feet, and this time turned successfully and slowly, made her way along the mossy glade by which she came. And at first she marveled, though only for a moment, at the ease with which she found the path, for a moment only, because almost at once she saw the truth. The trees were glad that she should go. They helped her on her way. The forest did not want her. The tide was coming in, indeed, yet not for her. And so, in another of those flashes of clear vision, that of late had lifted life above the normal level, she saw and understood the whole terrible thing complete. Till now, though unexpressed in thought or language, her fear had been that the woods her husband loved would somehow take him from her, to merge his life in theirs, even to kill him in some mysterious way. This time she saw her deep mistake, and so seeing let in upon herself the fuller agony of horror. For their jealousy was not the petty jealousy of animals or human. They wanted him because they loved him. But they did not want him dead. Full charged with his splendid life and enthusiasm they wanted him. 
They wanted him alive. It was she who stood in their way, and it was she whom they intended to remove. This was what brought the sense of abject helplessness. She stood upon the sands against an entire ocean, slowly rolling in against her. For as all the forces of a human being combine unconsciously to eject a grain of sand that has crept beneath the skin to cause discomfort, so the entire mass of what Sanderson had called the collective consciousness of the forest strove to eject this human atom that stood across the path of its desire. Loving her husband, she had crept beneath its skin. It was her they would eject and take away. It was her they would destroy, not him. Him whom they loved and needed, they would keep alive. They meant to take him living. She reached the house in safety, though she never remembered how she found her way. It was made all simple for her. The branches almost urged her out. But behind her, as she left the shadowed precincts, she felt as though some towering angel of the woods let fall across the threshold the flaming sword of a countless multitude of leaves that formed behind her a barrier, green shimmering and impassable. Into the forest she never walked again. And she went about her daily duties with a calm and quietness that was a perpetual astonishment even to herself, for it hardly seemed of this world at all. She talked to her husband when he came in for tea, after dark. Resignation brings a curious large courage. When there is nothing more to lose, the soul takes risks and dares. Is it a curious shortcut sometimes to the heights? David, I went to the forest too this morning, soon after you I went. I saw you there. Wasn't it wonderful? he answered simply, inclining his head a little. There was no surprise or annoyance in his look. A mild and gentle ennui, rather. He asked no real questions. She thought of some garden tree the wind attacks too suddenly, bending it over when it does not want to bend. The mild unwillingness with which it yields. She often saw him this way now, in terms of the trees. It was very wonderful indeed, dear, yes. She replied low, her voice not faltering, though indistinct. But for me it was too, too strange and big. The passion of tears lay just below the quiet voice, all unbetrayed. Somehow she kept them back. There was a pause, and then he added, I find it more and more so every day. His voice passed through the lamplit room like a murmur of the wind and branches. The look of youth and happiness she had caught upon his face out there had wholly gone, and an expression of weariness was in its place, as of a man distressed vaguely at finding himself in uncongenial surroundings, where he is slightly ill at ease. It was the house he aided. Coming back to rooms and walls and furniture, the ceilings and closed windows confined him. Yet in it no suggestion that he found her irksome. Her presence seemed of no account at all. Indeed, he hardly noticed her. For whole long periods he lost her, did not know that she was there. He had no need of her. He lived alone. Each lived alone. The outward signs by which she recognized that the awful battle was against her, and the terms of surrender, accepted, were pathetic. She put the medicine chest away upon the shelf. She gave the orders for his pocket luncheon before he asked. She went to bed alone and early, leaving the front door unlocked, with milk and bread and butter in the hall beside the lamp, all concessions that she felt impelled to make. For more and more, unless the weather was too violent, he went out after dinner even, staying for hours in the woods. But she never slept until she heard the front door close below, and knew soon afterwards his careful step come creeping up the stairs and into the room so softly. Until she heard his regular deep breathing close beside her, she lay awake. All strength or desire to resist had gone for good. 
The thing against her was too huge and powerful. Capitulation was complete, a fact accomplished. She dated it from the day she followed him to the forest. Moreover, the time for evacuation, her own evacuation, seemed approaching. It came stealthily ever nearer, surely and slowly as the rising tide she used to dread. At the high-water mark she stood waiting calmly, waiting to be swept away, Across the lawn, all those terrible days of early winter, the encircling forest watched it come, guiding its silent swell and currents towards her feet. Only she never once gave up her Bible or her praying. This complete resignation, moreover, had somehow brought to her a strange great understanding, and if she could not share her husband's horrible abandonment to powers outside himself, she could, and did, in some half-groping way, grasp at shadowy meanings that might make such abandonment possible, yes, but more than merely possible, in some extraordinary sense, not evil. Hitherto she had divided the beyond world into two sharp halves, spirits good or spirits evil. But thoughts came to her now, on soft and very tentative feet, like the footsteps of the gods which are on wool, that besides these definite classes there might be other powers as well, belonging definitely to neither one nor the other. Her thought stopped dead at that, but the big idea found lodgment in her little mind, and owing to the largeness of her heart, remained there unejected. It even brought a certain solace with it. The failure or unwillingness, as she preferred to state it, of her God to interfere and help, that also she came in a measure to understand. For here she found it more and more possible to imagine, was perhaps no positive evil at work, but only something that usually stands away from humankind, something alien and not commonly recognized. There was a gulf fixed between the two, and Mr. Sanderson had bridged it, by his talk, his explanations, his attitude of mind. Through these her husband had found the way into it. His temperament and natural passion for the woods had prepared the soul in him, and the moment he saw the way to go, he took it. The line of least resistance. Life was, of course, open to all, and her husband had the right to choose it where he would. He had chosen it away from her, away from other men, but not necessarily away from God. This was an enormous concession that she skirted, never really faced. It was too revolutionary to face, but its possibility peeped into her bewildered mind. It might delay his progress, or it might advance it. Who could know? And why should God— who ordered all things with such magnificent detail, from the pathway of a sun to the falling of a sparrow, object to his free choice, or interfere to hinder him and stop. She came to realize resignation, that is, in another aspect. It gave her comfort, if not peace. She fought against all belittling of her God. It was perhaps enough that he knew. "'You are not alone, dear, in the trees out there?' She ventured one night as he crept on tiptoe into the room not far from midnight. God is with you? Magnificently, was the immediate answer, given with enthusiasm, for he is everywhere, and I only wish that you... But she stuffed the clothes against her ears. That imitation on his lips was more than she could bear to hear. It seemed like asking her to hurry to her own execution. She buried her face among the sheets and blankets, shaking all over like a leaf. End of chapter 8